With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Craig Ellingson, the sports editor at the Edmonton Journal, and this is our Oilers podcast for October 21st, 2014. With me is journal hockey writer Jim Matheson. Hi, Jim. How are you? Joanne Ireland, hockey writer. Hello. And journal sports columnist John McKinnon. Hey. I'm going to call this edition of the podcast the Do It Again edition, because while the Oilers looked good in Tuesday night's 3-2 victory over the Tampa Bay Lightning, it's just one game, and it's their first win of the season coming uh, in game number six for them in 2014-15. It's still early days, though, and I don't think we've seen enough from this team to truly know what to expect, or or have we? Uh, I mean, this team, you know, it was 1-4-1 and one through six games last year, too, and we all know how 2013-14 uh, ended. Uh, you're looking at me first? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think it's ever too early. I think the points don't devalue as the season wears on. You get two in October and you get two in March. So if you don't win the games in 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 October, you can't say, well, it's early in the season. No, you need the wins. Uh, they did play well against uh, Vancouver and lost two nothing. They played well against Tampa Bay and won. But they gonna they need to win three or four or five in a row before they go on the the five game road trip when the rodeo is here or they're they're back in the hole again. Uh, they have to stay as close to 500 as they can for as long as they can, and then try to creep up and. Uh, least into playoff talk anyway. Uh, hence, can they do it again? Uh, well, I get another tough team, Washington, tomorrow. Just as tough as Tampa Bay. And also uh, Nashville's coming up. Montreal's playing well. Uh, Carolina should be guaranteed win, win night as far as I can see. Much like the Lethbridge uh, junior team is playing the Oil Kings uh, Tuesday evening. So I, if it's not guaranteed win night, <laughs> I'd be Shocked. I don't think anybody's going to make that prediction as Dennis Skulski did in Vancouver. But uh, where did the Carolina Hurricanes finish in uh, standings last year, though? They have not won a game, and they played four. So okay. Well, it's tough to. I mean, yeah, there's no holes in that theory, Maddie. It, and again, it, they don't. Uh, you don't get any points for losing better than you lost last year. So. You're right. I mean, but they did play better against Vancouver. So, I mean, maybe there's like sort of two sort of stepping stones there. But if they don't get on a bit of a roll here, and I think confidence-wise too, I think that's where, aside from all their faults on the ice, I think they needed to sort of get something turned around here mentally too. Is getting a little bit, uh, some long faces in that locker room pretty early in the season. 
I think it's been uh, sort of lack of preparation for the start of the season on a number of levels, starting with managerial. I mean, they start the season, they send Marins into the minors, they're going to take a look at Brad and Hunt, let's take a look at Nurse, let's do this, let's do that. I mean, they, it took them quite a while before they kind of culled their their training camp roster down to something resembling what the uh, what the starting lineup would be opening night. And then they were reassuring everybody once they made all their cuts, hey, look, this is only for opening night. Who knows what will happen after that? I'm thinking, what? Like, <laughs> you want to hit the ground running and keep going. And they were treating it as if, well, it started uh, a couple of games. It's a difference. Try this guy, try that guy. It doesn't work out. You know, we can always recall somebody from the minors. Well, that's a strange attitude to have when you, you face-planted last year, you know, brutally, and never recovered. So you want to make sure you don't do it this year. And they were still thinking, oh, give this guy a try, give that guy a try. I think it was that, to me, was the starting point of where this is. Well, there were, there were two problems there. They had First, they had five games in seven days, so which was kind of a ridiculous preseason schedule to start with. So you, you really can't be throwing your vets out that often. But I agree with John, and that, that you know, in retrospect, might be one of Dallas Aiken's do-overs, <laughs> is he didn't have any of his forward line combinations together in the preseason. I mean, that was just, I mean, he just threw them out for the regular season and hoped something would stick. And I think, you know, they really, really lacked some chemistry there and some time to sort of build something, as well as on the back end. The only pairing we ever saw consistently was Nikitin and Fane. And, and they're not together anymore. And they're so not together anymore, so... <laughs> so yeah. it. Five well, games Justin in. Justin Schultz had a different partner <laughs> yeah. every game he played as... Yeah. As he said, a different partner seemingly every time he plays the game in the regular season, too. So yeah. you're right. I think I agree. I think Dallas would probably like to do that over. The five games in seven days is certainly not what you would be, but the Edmonton Oilers plan their own exhibition season. So, you know, they're the ones that got five games in seven days. So, um, and lots of teams are playing, you know, close together, too, because you, you don't want to travel too far, so you're just playing. Yeah. teams in your own conference where you can zip in and zip out so there's a lot of games back to back so you're right the lineup seemingly looks like it's set now more or less you know apart from dry they're not sure whether he's staying or going and i think he should stay and i cannot fathom why people out there think he'd be better off playing junior in in prince albert which is not a great team uh he'd be playing 30 minutes a game and he might backslide into some bad habits because he's got to play 35 minutes a game yeah leon drysaddle you know he's played six games now for the orders uh, in the regular season and uh you know as you pointed out in your oil spills column on monday joanne he's got one assist and he's averaging about 13 minutes of ice time per game uh, obviously not a year we already know you're well, the stats are incidental as far as i can see uh he's got one assist Benoit Pouliot's got two. Jordan Everly's got three points. You know, David Perron's got three points. It's not like everybody else has got ten and he's got one. But he's, in, in it, terms of his overall development, though, I mean, he's 18, he's getting 13 minutes a game. Is this really the best place for him to develop in the NHL? was for right Yakupov for the first two years. He was playing 14 minutes a game. So I don't – I think every young player who starts out starts out playing between 10 and 14 minutes. And as the season wears on, if you're, any, if you're better, then you're playing 15 or 16 and I don't think, like I said, I don't think he would benefit from going back to play junior. I know there's a cue and cry that the Oilers rush all their draft picks into the lineup because they're not very good. But I also remember Ken Holland telling me one day, if I had a first overall pick in the draft, he would not be playing in Grand Rapids. He'd be playing on the Detroit Red Wings, and we're a good team. So when you're picking in the top three or so, your, team, your players theoretically should make your team. 
Now, whether how much he plays is a different story, but this is not a 175-pound player. This is a 215-pound player, and he's going to go back to junior playing against an awful lot of 175-pound players that he's much bigger than. And uh, like you said, he'll play his 30 minutes a game, coast through shifts because he's got to play 30 minutes a game instead of, you know, 13 hard ones in the NHL, and I don't think he's going to get any better. You can improve in practice playing against NHL players. You don't necessarily have to improve every game. You can still improve in the practices and then take that into the games. Yeah, he is a little bit of an anomaly in that respect that he he does have the size, and that's very often one of the reasons players are sent back a little quicker than others. I mean, Jonathan Druin's a perfect example of that. Tampa Bay, he went back, come back. He's you know he's bigger than he was last season, and he had to put on some weight. But Drysaddle's got the size. It's just a matter of again. The pace of the game is overwhelming exactly. to him a bit. But it's as not going to it's not going to improve when he's playing if he was back in Prince Albert. No, right? and as somebody suggested this morning, it's like trying to merge onto a highway when yeah. you get a learner's permit. It's going awful fast, and you're trying not to get in a crash. And you know, some games he does look like he's yeah. the pace is too much for him. But the pace is also too much for guys that have played in the league for ten years too. If they turn the buck over, they have trub- trouble getting back too. You know, David Perron, he's an average skater, not a great skater, and if he turns the puck over, he has trouble getting back as well. You know, not everybody skates like Taylor Hall. Um, so, you know, it's it's an eye-opener for a lot of kids, but like I said, if he was going back to a really good junior team, great, but he's going back to not a very good junior team in the Western League, and for sure he'd probably get traded during the season anyway to a Memorial Cup, you know, contender if he's not so they can get some players for him, but I I don't see the benefit at all. He's a mature fellow. He's his psyche is a mature psyche. He's aware of his limitations. Um, he seems right from the first day of training camp. He seems to have understood. Okay, this is going to be a process for me. Although in training camp and preseason, he looked very good. Um, like a lot of players, I think he's finding his range, understanding what he can do right now and what he'll have to wait longer to, to achieve and so forth. But there's a lot of players that um, whose minutes, as uh, Jim has suggested, have been rationed. Um, you know, Galchenyuk in Montreal. Right now he's 20, but he's he's been there. And they're playing him the wing. He's a natural center. And they, you know, play him. Or even here with with Eberle and, um, and Hall. I mean, they were rationed early on, spotted in situations they were more likely to succeed in. Um I, I think that Drysdale is a thoroughbred, and uh, it'll you know like any player, it'll take a while to get comfortable. But to me, uh, he does things every game that I watch. I mean, yeah. not not every shift, but you see things and you think, man, that's he's so close. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he, if they had three other older centers who are offensive, you could say, well, he can go back to junior, but they don't. So is somebody just suddenly going to pop up and take his spot in the top nine? Not unless they trade for somebody or pick somebody up on waivers or something. The, the roster they've got, he still belongs in the top nine. So until that well, changes, you know, if if they want to send him back to junior, well, who's taking the, his spot in the top nine? That, that's a, a that's an organizational uh, problem, and it's the organization's problem in my view. It, like it, that, that's that's the risk is that they have to keep the guy because they're so thin at center. That to me is an organizational is negligence on their part, not with respect to Drysaddle, but just with respect to their their roster. That would not be a reason to keep him, in my view. 
they don't have very good centers, but he has to go back too bad, send them back. But I think that he's demonstrated that he's he's ready to, to play. He's not ready to play and dominate and, and make an impact all the time, but he's ready. I think he's ready to be an NHL player and learn. And uh, so we'll see. I mean, I'm sure they're minimum going to give him his nine games. There's, there's countless players who play as rookies and they're not 18. They come in at 19, and their first year in the league they get 30 points or something. Well, then they get 50 points the next year. Then they get 70 points. So if he plays the full year at 18, he's not turning 19 in a couple, you know, on the 27th, I believe, and he gets 30 points this year, great, fine. He's played the whole full year in the NHL, and next year will be better. I mean, and they can hide. I mean, it's up. it behooves the coach, if you're going to keep him, to, to manage who he's playing against. And in, you know, situations, you're putting him on the ice in offensive situations where he's taking offensive zone draws, not defensive zone draws, perhaps, and he's playing against second-pairing defensemen and third-pairing defensemen. He's not, and that's going to happen with the Oilers. I mean, Hall and Nugent Hopkins, they're always against the other team's best two defensemen. It's not going to be Dreisaitl, for sure, or Arcabella. I've got to ask, since we're talking about it, why, was it too early to send Darnell Nurse back to junior? Uh, it's, it was kind of one of those ones where it seemed... I think he was better than several of the defensemen that they, you know, are veteran defensemen in training camp. But then when they didn't start him in the first game, I thought that was wrong. He deserved to play the first game. He was better than some of the defensemen they had, but they went with an older lineup, okay, of defensemen. And then he sits for two games, and then they say, oh, I guess we better get him in now. Well, he, and he did get in, and he played his first game against L.A., and the team as a whole was not good at all. He wasn't that bad. Uh, and then plays another game against Phoenix or Arizona and was okay. But then they decide, no, he's not ready. You know, I'd have played him every game, you know, off the training camp he had. I'd have played him till the nine-game mark, too. And they probably could have done that, but they started by not winning any games, and then they said, oh, we better go with older. Well, and older they also defensive. started with defensive core that needed <laughs> to get its game Act going. Together, I yeah. mean, Keaton and Fain in the preseason, if you would have based sort of where they were heading – in the preseason and the first game of the season, I would have like never would have predicted. I mean, it's taken Mark Fain five, you know, He's four grown, or five games. Mark Fain's grown on me, right? I, but he didn't you watch start him out play, that way. You, you yeah. can see why. Yeah. You always want him out against the other team's yeah. better players. He's yeah, we saw that. Quite I mean, a good defensive yeah. player. Yeah, but he didn't start out that no, way. No, there's a, there's a a uh, adjustment period for everybody. Uh, they had so many. They have uh, numbers on defense now. Yeah. But there's quite a few of them that are on the cusp. Are they the AHL players, the NHL players, This, in his case, junior or NHL? And I think they realized that the I – mean, I don't know, but I, I, mean, I believe that what they realized was we better get our best set of defensemen yeah. out there right now. Yeah. We're losing, and we need to get going. I think that's what happened. And then having made that decision, like, okay, you know, this guy's going to wait a year. He is a guy, unlike Drysdale, I believe he's, he'll join a team that's a pretty good team. But more than that, he'll be on the national junior team. He'll like he'll there'll be many opportunities for him. And to I don't think he'll play level. in the American League. I think he'll make the team right away. I don't, I don't see him saying, oh, "Okay, now we're going to send you next year to the American League." I think he was close enough this year. <laughs> I think be. next year he'll be on the team. I don't. It'd be like a lot of teams have got a really young defenseman on the team from the Western League, and they're not playing the American League. They're yeah. just they come back a second year, and they're a year older. They're not eighteen; they're nineteen, and they play 
you know, uh, in the NHL. Well, uh, he's he's not the, also the first. I mean, Jordan Everly was sent back twice before right. he made the team. And I actually spoke spoke to Jordan about that the other day, and he said, in, in looking back, he said he was he clearly thought it was the wrong idea. But he said when he looks back at it now, it was probably the best thing for his development. And he was probably almost at the same stage as Darnell was, you know, where he was picked, sort of where he was at developmentally. So, and a comparison, yeah. you know, dry subtle with Nurse. I mean, Nurse Two has players. a better a yeah. better opportunity in, yeah. in Sault Ste. Marie and with the Canadians. And it's also harder for defensemen to come into the league. As I think it's player. hard for the, the organization, though. It's easier for them to monitor how their player is doing in the organization when he's playing on their farm team yeah. than when he's playing in junior. You know, in your farm team, you go down there, you got your own coach coaching him. The guy goes back to junior, it's not your own coach. He's playing all the minutes at every situation, and sometimes, you know, he's not necessarily playing the way you want him to play if he was playing on your farm team, or he played the same style and whatever. So I think it's a little trickier mm-hmm. when you send a player back to junior as nurses. You know, he's going to play 35 minutes a game, much like Griffin Reinhardt was playing for the Oil Kings. So. It's a little trickier if, if you know, he develops some bad habits because he has to play so much. Now, Taylor Hall, I mean, he, he's a point a game. He's got six points, four goals, two assists in uh, the six games so far. He's clearly the Oilers' best player, and he was sort of showing some flair against Tampa and taking his uh, penalty shot goal, motioning to the crowd to, to cheer and, and scoring. Um, tell me about his performance so far this season. Well, he's clearly been the one bright spot so far this season from right from the get-go. I mean, he's been, but I mean, as he, I mean, he can't carry that team on his own. And and last night, the difference was his line mates played up to his sort of standards, standards, or <laughs> his heart, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, he he was clearly sort of the driver of that team last night. I think Nugent Hopkins, that was his best game, yeah. too. And I think he took the the challenge of playing against Stamkos to heart. Yeah. And I think he outplayed Stamkos last night. Actually, I, I think Steve would outplay just about anybody in a regular, you know, in league play, playoffs, whatever. But I didn't think he was had a pretty quiet night last night. And I think from the get-go, I think Nugent Hopkins played better. And that's maybe why the Oilers won the game. Their first-line center was better than Tampa's all-world player last night, and they won the game by a goal. I find it interesting, the whole uh, business with the crowd. The, um, there's been understandable and I think pretty obvious and well-documented uh, impatience in the fan base, both the Tier 1 fans who go to the games and the other ones who don't go to the games. And um, Dallas Akins has taken this up. He's talked about studies done that demonstrate that, that the crowd getting behind your team can have an impact and, you know, kind of depresses the energy level of the opponent and increases the energy level. And so there you have Taylor Hall getting ready to do a penalty shot, and he takes time out to whomp up the fans. After the game, Jordan Eberle was talking about how what, what, how great it was to put the fans. They come out of the uh, down the tunnel onto the ice, and the fans are all cheering. And, and uh, it's an interesting uh, – I've never encountered a head coach who's – as Ray Ferraro said recently, his focus is so wide. Most of them are worried about what's going on with their players and the game plan and the opponent. And uh, this guy's got everything, and he's obviously communicating this to the players. Because, um, but that it was an electric moment. Of course, as Taylor Hall says, what it w- wouldn't have been so electric if he failed to score. Um, but it, it, it's 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 an interesting deal to, to ha- covering this team that has done so poorly. <laughs> 
for so long. <laughs> and yet they, they clearly as an organization believe they're entitled to unflagging support from their fans. And I, I, I find it, uh, I've never experienced that before. It's quite something. You, you normally you have to earn it. <laughs> you earn it with victories. So you don't earn it because right, we're nice guys and we're really good. You wait and see. You know, you got to do it. And uh, one victory so far. Well, the home record has been terrible <laughs> last year and start of this one. And that's the home crowd can help you win the home games and it can be a little intimidating if the home crowd is really loud, as it often is in the, when the Oilers were in, the, you know, back to 2006 when the, the fans were tremendous when the Oilers were in the, in the playoffs. So, you know, it can work for you, but as John says, you have to win the home games first to start building some momentum so that the fans go to the game expecting your team is going to win the game, not hoping your team might win a, a home game. Yeah, no, obviously, uh, clearly b before the season started, Taylor Hall and others talked about the need to have that strong start to the season, you know, the seven-game homestead in particular before the long road trip in, in November. So what do the orders need to do over these next few games? I mean, they're not facing, all. yeah, they're not facing, uh, you know, the Pacific, their Pacific Division cousins like L.A., San Jose, uh, Phoenix, Chicago, St. Louis. I think none of those guys are on the docket until at least a month from now. Uh, so is it, it's confidence building time, is it not? They have to win. It is. But we've all watched the Oilers long enough to know that they often win a game and get very high and then they don't win the next game. They have a tough time putting a winning streak together. And the only way average to bad teams can pick up ground is if suddenly they win five in a row or six in a row and then they get into the, into the fight again and if you win one game you know you lose in the shootout the next game you lose the next game then you win a game well that's no good you gotta and I don't know if the orders have that in them yet it remains to be seen we certainly didn't see it much last year where they you know would suddenly win five games in a row and get back into it but I think they even their longest two streak, they had three two three gamers and maybe did they even get to four games last year I they did not I think they I had two three so. gamers so you can't yeah. you can't pick up any ground in this National Hockey League by winning eight out of ten games never mind yeah. you know win a game lose a game win a game lose a game so but early in the season when you're playing teams that are not in your division and stuff these are games that the other team isn't going to get back either these eastern teams you only play them twice so beat them you know and they're not going to come back three times and beat you during the regular season they're only getting two track cracks at you one here one there and make sure you beat them in your own building and then see what happens but how do they find that way to do it i mean i know after the game last night you know they were sound like a fairly confident bunch they talked about how yeah just just you wait we're gonna break out but we haven't seen that happen yet the best thing that ha would happen to the Oilers is they they keep winning a lot of close games yeah win 3-2, 3-2, 2-1, 3-2. And then you start to figure you can win the close games. Sometimes you win the game handily and you think you're better than you are, and then you backslide. I think it's I think you you play better when you the other team plays hard and you win a 3-2 or 4-3 game. You realize, okay, we won a close game, we can we can win a close game now against a good team. And closing out those games. Last year there was too many times where they would have the lead and let it go or or they would storm back after being down three two or three goals. So Maddie's right. I think they, they they have to learn how to learn how to win essentially, and that killer instinct, which they've sort of not shown either. They've the very rare times they do get up, they've never sort of last season in particular didn't show any way that they could actually even sort of 
there's two two key. Sorry, sorry, Joanne. There's two key elements to me. One, that goaltending has to be very good and consistent. And the other thing is that the last night the best players led the way. They've got to do it the next game and the next game and the next game. And that's where those that's what McTavish talked about in the off season. Can these players be great players? And the difference is the great player brings it every time, every night. And you see it from usually from a Stamkos, or you see it from, um, you know, any of the other Sidney Crosby. The great players, every, they may not win the game, but every night they're bringing it. And this is what they need to do, both for their own credibility as players. But if they're not leading that team, nobody's leading that team. Now, what about those who haven't produced yet? Maddie, you were talking about Benoit Pouliot and the like, who haven't, you know, scored. Um, who's not producing and who should be? Well, Everly and Perron were two of the three top goal scorers in the team last year, and neither one has a goal yet. Um, you know, they both have three assists but no goals. Benoit Pouliot has no goals either. Dreisaitl doesn't have anybody. He's 18. So th- the first three names I mentioned, they're in your top nine. Some, some of them are in their top six, and they don't have a goal yet. So I know it's early it's only six games but I have yet to be shown that if a, a player that can turn it around and score lots of goals if he gets through the first month of the season and, he, and he's not scoring you just can't do it the games get harder to win it's harder to score um, you need the goals early and then you, you usually wind up with a good season so players like Eberly and Perron in particular because they you know they got close to 30 goals last year were Pouliot was more of a 15-goal score. They have to start scoring fairly quickly or before they know what the month's going to be over. Ten games are going to be over, and, you know, they might have one goal. So they have to really start scoring. Well, and goal scoring, it's, again, we go back to the, the confidence thing, too. The longer a goal scorer goes without scoring, the tougher it is for him to sort of find his way in the back of the net. David Perron's the interesting one to me, though, because we've, I really, really wonder how... Um, set how much he was set back this off season. He was he talked to us in training camp. He hadn't trained much until August. He had a hip injury that kept him out of the worlds and it sort of carried on through the off season and he was you know, there was some suggestion going into camp. He might not play every game. And I, I really wonder sort of how far back he is and, and now he's sort of trying to making some noises about maybe not getting enough ice time. So I'm curious to see where that one goes, like in terms of him, like the longer it goes without him producing, does he start becoming a bit of a, um, does he talk about the ice time, right? Like, I mean, is it going to be an issue for him? He didn't, if I'm not mistaken, he didn't start skating until the middle of August. Right. The, um, it's a funny deal uh, these days. In the olden days, of course, people would work their way into, a long time ago, work their way into shape at training camp. Now, it's almost as if, your personal trainer is your most important piece of equipment. If, if you're not having just an absolutely outstanding off-season training, then you're you're behind everybody, yeah. and you never catch up. You just don't catch up. Um, so we'll see with him because he he uh, to me he doesn't look like the same. He doesn't have the same snap, the same kind of uh, acceleration. I don't see the same aggressive player. And plus, he hurt his ribs. He got he got uh, drilled by I can't remember who in one game to center mid ice great hit but he had the wind knocked out of him and he had a, he got a bit of an, a rib issue and so uh it may be a while till he's fully you know comfortable out there i agree wholeheartedly but you know 
Everly is the key. Everly's on the first line, so Jordan has to start scoring. Jordan is on the first line playing with uh, Nugent Hopkins and Hall, and he's the one that has to really get going because he's, he's seeing the first power play time and uh, getting 19 minutes a game. So Jordan has to get going. But he's a streak scorer. He feels yeah. good about his game, though, Jim. Yeah, told me last night. The chances are coming. We feel chances good. We but feel he's, good he's good always been a streak scorer. Two <laughs> goals, two goals, two goals. Before you know it, he And he be has gotten off to slow starts. And he's, he's got off to a slow start yeah. before. So, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think the Oilers would care who's scoring as long as they keep winning the games 2-1. I don't think that they really care as long as the W's start adding up. But this is also a team is, that was supposed to have more secondary scoring, and so far it's... They're not the only team <laughs> in the league that isn't scoring, though. As you pointed well, out, the Blackhawks aren't scoring much true, either. Neither is Boston scoring a whole pile of goals. Yes, and there should be some hand-wringing in Chicago given the talent they have. Well, this thus ends the do-it-again-and-again-and-again-and-again-and-again edition of the Orders podcast. Thank you, Maddie, Joanne, and John. Thank you very Thank much. You. We'll, uh, we'll see you again next week.